You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. family, friends, fans, and foes, it's time once again for Talking Wrestling. Thank you for tuning in to Never Sleeps Network's Talking Wrestling, whether you're listening to it on the Never Sleeps Network or whether you listen to it on the iTunes. We appreciate you listening to it. As long as you've uh, been listening to it, why not check us out on our social medias? You know it already. If you've listened to the show, you know it already. On the Twitter, we are at TNWPod. On Instagram, follow us on Instagram. Love the Instagram. Instagram, we are at Talking Wrestling Podcast on the Instagram. Also, you can follow us on the Gmail. No, you can't. But send us a Gmail if you have any criticisms for the show or uh, ideas for the show or if you just want to send us an email and tell us how we're doing. Feel free to do that at uh, TalkingWrestling at gmail.com. Remember, if you uh, send in a five-star rating and a review, favorable review, you will get an 80s vintage postcard sent to you as a thank you. We've sent out probably about five postcards so far this year. The response on the postcards is pretty cool. People are happy with them. Uh, It's a very cool thing. I just happen to have this postcard book from about 1984. And it's all wrestlers pre-WWE. Hulk Hogan's wearing his Japanese outfit, his black tights. And and the Road Warriors are not the Legion Doom. They're the Road Warriors. And uh, these postcards are cool. So if you want one, send in the review and the rating. And we appreciate that. Or if you don't want one, feel free to rate, review, subscribe on the show anyway. This is a special show for the special time of year. Um, this is the festive best of 2017. I've always wanted to do one of these episodes where it's a best of clips and there's all the clips from the year gone by. Unfortunately, we didn't do a whole year. We only started half the year and this is the actual 26 episodes. So it's exactly half a year on this episode. In the first episode, I said, if I ever get to 20 issues, I would do a best of then. Well, almost 26 issues. And here is the first best of. It is the festive best of. And as long as we're speaking festive, folks, I hope you all had a good Christmas or a good Hanukkah or a good Kwanzaa or a good Ramadan or a good Festivus or whatever you celebrate this time of the year. Season's greetings or for wrestling fans, should I say season's beatings, whatever you prefer. I hope you had a great holiday and thank you for tuning in. Now, we got 17 clips lined up for you for today's show uh, for the Festive Best of. And uh, I'm going to tell you, not everybody made the Festive Best of. I wanted to go through, I listened to every episode, every issue, and I wanted to pick out clips from each one. I had, well, I had clips from each one, but the fact is the show just went too long. And, uh, it's the best of, so not everybody can make it. If it was participants, everybody would be participating, but it's not. It is the best of. 
and uh, there are app issues like for example the last issue I did with Nug from Aftermath it's fantastic I've never had a conversation so fluent and fluid and such a nice flow when it came to talking wrestling with Nug but I could not decide on what part was the best because it was so good. And these clips are my opinion on what I thought was the best of, not the best of the entire episode, but the best part that made me laugh as well as uh, what's best for the show. Because what's best for the show is best for business. Now, the first clip is uh, from the first episode, first issue. Uh, Alex Wood from the his podcast, Alex Wood Quits Everything. Uh, along with my roommate, Jeff McHenry, who is my roommate because he uh, he has the network and he lets me watch it. So no more streaming illegally. In this clip, we're discussing the top 10 Canadian wrestlers. And uh, let's just throw right now to Jeff McHenry as he's doing his uh, number eight and number seven on his opinion on the top 10 Canadian wrestlers of all time. Jeff, take it away. Uh, number eight, uh, representing the women, Trish Stratus, seven-time women's champion, uh, three-time babe of the year. <laughs> Is this in your personal life? <laughs> <laughs> Only Trish, bad news. Only three times. Only three times in Jeff's uh, 20-some years. That's right. That's right. Beat out Becky Holgate. <laughs> Grade 11. Oh, uh, Becky Holgate with the Holgate smile. <laughs> uh, and uh, Diva of the Decade. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not in my personal life. That was a legit award. That's a legit award. Three-time babe of the year. All right. And so then, that was uh, that was your... So who did... Who, so, so, uh, wait. Who that's did, number eight. That's number eight. Trish Stratus. Okay. Okay. Uh, number seven. Okay. Uh, you get a, you get a, I'm going to give you a guess here. Kind of obscure. Kind of obscure? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you, you've, you've heard of him. Oh, oh, definitely. Okay. Obscure, but I've heard of him. Canadian wrestler. Uh-huh. Lanny Poffo. <laughs> Not Lanny Poffo. I no. think I should have made the list because I am Lanny Poffo. That was really good. Thank you. And I can suck my own cock. He can. That's one of his. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's, he's, that and he's Canadian. That's two things people know about him. <laughs> mm-hmm. And oh yeah, and he's Macho's brother. No, <laughs> who is your seven? I don't know. It sounds like your seven might be mine, so I don't want to say it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the way you're describing it. Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, a twenty-year veteran. Twenty-year okay, veteran. So no. Uh huh. Mm hmm. In uh, 1971, he defeated a superstar Billy Graham, who would go on to be a WWF champion. And superstar Billy Graham was actually um, trained by Stu trained Hart. by Stu Hart and Wayne Coleman. Hey, uh, he is another old CFLer, I believe, played in the CFLer that we forgot off that list. Oh yeah, we were making up a list of greatest uh, CFL players turned wrestlers. That was another list we were talking about last night. So, top one hundred and fifty, <laughs> top one hundred and fifty <laughs> CFL, CFL players turned wrestlers. <laughs> in December, the Rock's next. on that list. Yeah, of course he is. So. He's number one. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Uh, in December nineteen seventy two, defeated Bobby Heenan and Baron von Raschke in a handicap match. Are we talking Mad Dog Vachon? No. Are we no. talking? No, you're on the right track, though. Are we talking? Are we talking Pat Patterson? No, no. Are uh, we talking? In 1959, Gilles de Fish Poisson? 
The the leader post of Regina reported that uh, he'd wrestled 500 matches and won all of them. That's uh, that's that's dwarfs Goldberg Street right there. Who is this person? You Nobody speak of? ever uh, mentions him when you talk about all time great Canadian wrestlers. When you're about to mention him yes, right now, yes, number seven on my list for his undefeated streak. Roman Reigns. Terrible Ted the Wrestling Bear. Jesus! Wow, that's a great name. Never heard of him. Terrible Ted the Wrestling Bear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll tell you, man. One time that wrestling bear came to my town, and I could not. And the Zamboni driver had to wrestle him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then Tony the Zamboni driver, you know his life wasn't going well. We could get in a ring with Terrible Ted the Bear. <laughs> First of all, he's like going at the bear head on. And I was like, dude, like use the ropes. Like come off the ropes. The bear ain't going to see it coming from behind a clothesline. Just clothesline from behind. I'm like, why are you not taking an aerial attack on this bear? He ain't going to see you're going to try to ground and pound a bear. Come on, man. So you actually had somebody wrestle Terrible Ted. I saw somebody in my first wow. wrestling card ever. The bear was there. You saw Ted in in your hometown. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. A legitimate Canadian wrestling yeah. legend. I was great. And, and the sheep Plot was the on Zamboni there. Zamboni driver. Also on there, <laughs> Ricky Johnson. Not Rocky Johnson. Ricky, the uh, Rock's uncle. Uh, uncle, yeah. Uh, and Angela Mosca Jr., um, PWI third place wrestler rookie of the year. Wasn't that crazy? Wasn't that crazy? Three-time baby of the year. Oh, my God, Jeff McCann, you cracked me up so much. He's a hell of a roommate and a hell of a wrestling fan, and it's probably why he's the only two-time guest so far on the show. Clip two. Oh, boy. Clip. I hope you enjoyed first clip. Second clip. Clip two. I don't have all the sound effects yet, folks, but someday maybe we'll add in sound effects like clip two. Here's clip two. Um, this is Alison Dore from Sirius XM Satellite Radio, the Ward and Al show, which is no longer in existence. I believe she has her own show coming out in the new season, uh, the new year on uh, XM Satellite Radio. However, she still is the host of Broadcast on Canada Laughs, and she still uh, is on Canada Talks. And um, she's still my friend, Allison Dore, and she had the best idea ever on how to flip John Cena as a heel. And this clip is entitled uh, Cena and the Make-A-Wish Kids. So I hope you enjoy this clip. Well, John listen, Cena. Here's the thing. I First of all, yeah, I'm sure everyone listening to this knows, but the whole world should know that he has given more he's granted more wishes to Make-A-Wish Kids than anyone in the history of the world. I know, but the weird thing about that is... You know, like if I was a kid at a hospital, I heard John Cena was coming to see a kid down the hall. Yeah. And then two You'd later, wish for something else because he's going to say hi to you too. Well, no, but two, late, two weeks later, that kid's gone maybe. And then I'd be like, oh my God. And then John Cena shows up again a month oh, later. Oh, he's the angel of death. And then another. Yeah. I'd be like, whoa. Every time John Cena shows up, the kid, kid gets dies. a wish and the kid dies. And then, it's just, and then it's like, I don't, like, why aren't I just asking for the fucking Undertaker? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you're a terrible person. Here's how I'm a terrible person. I because whenever people are like John Cena will never turn heel, I'm like, what we gonna do is get one of those Make a Wish kids to wish for him to turn heel, and then he has to grant the wish because that's his thing. Oh my god, that's the best angle ever. Right, that's what we got to do. We got to find a sick kid, Vince McMahon. If you're listening in your mm-hmm. in your helicopter right now, um, that's a good idea. 
Yeah, that's the right? best way to flip it's him. Because it's the only way he'll ever. Hey, little kid, are you glad to see me? No, I want you to turn bad, John Cena. It would be the greatest because that's the, that's the only thing left for John Cena, right? Like he's great. He's number one. Hustle, loyalty, respect. We all get it. We all get what you're doing. Yeah. And so for me, and I've always liked the villains. So for me, I was always like, I wish he would turn. I wish he would turn. And everyone's like, he's never going to. So I had to come up with a way that he would. That and the is only, the best way. yeah, the only thing I can think of is a make a wish game. Which but is what boring. if like, what if it, like he shrugged it off the first kid, and then the kid didn't make, it, and then the next four kids ask him the same thing, and eventually that make that becomes like, like the, he he would have to. he would he'd have no choice. The families would be like. Our kid asks for a wish. Why are you crushing him? Why are you crushing him? Yeah. Yeah. Come Jesus. On. Oh, my God. Folks, that's how you flip Cena. That's the best way to flip Cena. It's such a good way. When we did the Ricky Steamboat issue later, later on in the year, I regurgitated Allison's idea and pretended it was mine. What an asshole I am. However, I feel that's the best idea and the best way to flip Cena. And that's why I made the best of Issue number three, we were very lucky to have uh, my first guest that was involved with the WWE at some point. I like to call him the forgotten member of DX, uh, the greatest wrestling impersonator of all time, the one and the only Jason Sensation. And when I had him on the show, man, we talked so much wrestling. I asked him so many things. A lot of impersonations were done that issue. And uh, I asked him specifically if he'd tell me and share his story about what it was like um, doing the DX Nation of Domination sketch parody, where um, most of the wrestlers wore blackface in that sketch, and uh, Jason Sensation pulled off his uh, greatest impersonation of all, uh, playing Owen Hart. So let's throw that right now. Talk about the DX sketch, because... Uh, that is so memorable. So basically, for those of you who don't know, there was a sketch involved where Degeneration X was going to parody uh, the Nation of Domination. And um, each member of the nation, I mean of DX, uh, be the New Age Outlaws and Triple H and X-Pac, all decided to put blackface on and be the members of Nation of Domination. That was only impersonations. How are you going to impersonate a black person if you can't be black? Obviously, blackface is needed. Might have been the attitude. But however, uh, there were two people that did not do blackface in the sketch. One was China, who just stood in the back and seemed like, I didn't want any part of this. And number two was Jason Sensation, who played uh, the brilliant role of Owen Hart with the best jokes and the best impersonation. Like, were you backstage for this to get ready for this? and was Vince saying these jokes are going to go and how did how did that sketch come apart from a backstage behind the sta- behind the the scene view okay um i was traveling with them every week at the time so i think maybe it was a week or two before Russo says, okay, got an idea. So you wait, you're traveling with WWE? Oh, yeah, with WWE. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So I, maybe it was a couple of weeks before they said, okay, we got we got an idea how we're going to introduce you now. So Russo had an idea. And he said, um, so so we're going to, DX is going to dress up like the nation, but you're going to do impressions of every nation member. So you'll be the interviewer, going to interview them, and then you're taking the mic and you just talk for them. And so you need to learn all these guys' voices. 
you need to have him down pat in the next. So I had to go sit and hang out with Godfather and Ron Simmons yeah. and oh, not Ron Simmons, sorry, D'Lo. I just hung out with Ron a lot. He was always awesome. But oh yeah, Mark Henry and I had to hang out with these guys to try to learn their voices. And when it came to the day of, China said, "I don't want to do it. I don't want to dress up like Owen." And uh, they said, okay, you know what? We're going to, this was the day of, we're going to nix the whole thing and you're going to be Owen Hart, Jason, and everyone's going to say their own lines. So now I'm in a room and uh, Vince has to write everybody's lines right now. And it's all last minute type thing. So, wow. Yeah. Everyone knew they were dressing up, but nobody knew that they were going to do the impressions. And I didn't know I was going to be dressing up as Owen Hart. Yes. This is all last minute. Now Russo's writing the jokes for Triple H, and he's like, if you got anything, bro, hit me with it. So great. I, That's a great Russo. I was just hitting him with any jokes. So I came up with some, and like the, the grow your beard in, he came up with. The one about nose is so big, I can smell what the rock's cooking, I came up. That was the punchline we were both fighting for. What, like, yeah. you need one more. And I, the nose is so big because it smells what the rock's cooking. Bro, you got it. You you hit it, bro. So anyway. <laughs> I love it. So we were doing it. To, like we wrote that, my seg, my part of the segment, we wrote together. But the guy, well, I got to experience his writing skills there. And he was just brilliant. The way he put it together. It was a really funny segment. He put that together in five minutes. Yeah. The, the, the lines, it was like, he was just brilliant. So you get out there and, and you do the sketch. And it goes over. The ratings for the sketch were through the roof, as I understood. Probably, like, the best segment on Raw. And Raw was so good back then because, like I said, like, he wrote for everybody. And like I said, like, Crash Holly's not getting over. Next thing you know, Crash Holly's walking out with a giant scale. Uh-huh. And he's getting over. Like, yeah. everybody got over. And uh, I love I love that. So, the, so, so the, you go back the next week. Or you still on the next week, mm-hmm. and the next week is my favorite, where you're you're sitting with Jerry Lawler, King. I, I, you're like you're with Jerry Lawler, Jr. Jr. was there, mm-hmm. and Shawn Michaels. I know, it's like so, there's so three Hall of Famers, and not only that, like like Jerry Lawler. If it wasn't for Jerry Lawler, Kevin Owens wouldn't speak English. So I love Jerry Lawler, <laughs> but the fact is, is. Uh, I'm a huge Andy Kaufman fan, so I've, oh, I nice. will forever love Jerry Lawler. Nice. And uh, it doesn't matter how many girls he bangs underage. I will always <laughs> love Jerry Lawler. <laughs> no, no comment. No. Uh, <laughs> but the thing is, is and, but then you have Shawn Michaels. Now, I don't know if it's like when you came down as yourself, I don't know how if you were told to play it like this, but you were pretty cocky, like sitting in the seat, like you had a, a, a cock, an arrogance about you, like Rick Martel fucking gave you a dose there before you walked out, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> but it was like as you had an arrogance, and then when Shawn Michaels was like, you know, I, or the first time you do Owen, you just see Shawn on the end, and he has to cover his face, like you broke him. Like fucking Jimmy Fallon in an SNL sketch. <laughs> like he was, he had to cover up his laughter. And then when you're like, can you do Shawn Michaels? Oh, just, it's like music to my ears. That's awesome. uh, and, that but cool then, of course, that. Owen comes down. Now, how real did you know that the slaps were coming? And how real, like, so before, so when it, you realized that you were going to be in a physical altercation with Owen Hart on Raw, and you're not a wrestler at this point. How does that go about? Like, how does that 
that angle all take place backstage. Uh-huh. I'm really curious about the backstage stuff because I love hearing about it. So that's why I'm asking these questions. Yeah, well, like I said, like I, I came in looking to be the next Mean Gene. I was, I, I, I knew physically I couldn't be a wrestler, so I'm working towards that. I don't have a contract yet. I don't have anything that guarantees I'm going to stay with these guys. So every time I go there, it could be my last time. So I, you know, I did this impersonation last week. This is what they offer me this week. I'm just going with the flow. I yeah. want this job. I want this dream. I'm making it happen. So when they said you're going to get in, you can get put into a sharpshooter and Owen's going to slap you or whatever, it was just like, okay, I was just going with the flow. Like, okay, whatever, whatever it takes to get this job, I'll get, I'll do it. Right. So when Russo comes up and says, that's what's going to happen. Can you sell? Can you sell? I'm like, yeah, I think I'll just scream. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Then it comes up. Owen comes up. This is all in passing. You know, it's not any, like everything is always moving. Yeah. So this is in a hallway, in passing. Hey, Jason, let's talk about this because we're doing it. I'm going to come out and slap you. Yeah. Okay. Here, I got a blood capsule. They don't want to see blood anymore, but I really want to use this because it's really going to put me over as this awful person. And that's what I really want to get out. So I'm going to, you're going to chew this for me. I said, okay, this was like, I'm going with the flow now. Now I feel like I have to listen to Owen. Now I feel like I have to listen to Russo. So I'm yeah. just going with the flow. Everybody's my boss here. Right. So then Owen says, and you've, you've taken a sharpshooter, right? I said, like, Back I don't know. Right? He's like, you know, with your friends playing around. I said, yeah, exactly. I've. So he's like, okay, but you've never taken, well, just so we know we have it, lay down. And so I laid down, and we're right in the hallway, or everyone's yeah. walking by, and I laid down. He's like, put your legs up. I'm like, okay. I put them up, and he walked away. And it was a rib. He just left me <laughs> laying there like an idiot with my legs up. Okay. <laughs> so, like, you look like, like you're ready to go, like a, a horror in heat. <laughs> and people walking by, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. I love that clip. It just shows you how much of a river Owen Hart is. And, you know, I cut that story off halfway through. There's more to that story. So uh, if you haven't hit any episode yet or any issue yet, you got to listen to the Jason Sensation issue. It is so entertaining. I remember when uh, I went to Kingston, there were two people that I wanted to interview when in Kingston. And uh, one guy is actually a wrestling journalist. And he works for the Kingston Wig Standard, and his name is Jan Murphy. And the other guy is uh, his business partner, Ryan Denis. Now, let me tell you about Jan. Jan uh, is the promoter of a wrestling, a charity wrestling organization called Chinlock Wrestling. And uh, this year, at the third annual show, they raised over twenty-five thousand dollars. And that is just amazing. A fantastic card, a fantastic event. And, well, Jan, you're on the best of, you know, because not only are you entertaining in your interviews and when we talk wrestling, you're, you're like literally the best, one of the best friends of this show. Uh, Jan and, and Ryan are responsible for hooking this show up with Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and, uh, Later next year, um, I'll get to work with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, also courtesy of Jan and Ryan Denis. And uh, these guys are just great guys, and they're big wrestling fans, and they're good people. So let's go to Jan Murphy right now uh, as he talks about interviewing Hunter Hearst Helmsley for the first time. And then right after that, uh, we're just going to go a double shot 
and you're going to hear Ryan Denis talking about uh, when he was about 10 years old, maybe 12 years old, meeting uh, strongman Ted Arcidi at a house show. So uh, these two episodes are known as the Kingston issues, and uh, I hope you enjoy these two clips. Do you spend any time around Triple H? And I have. I've, I've interviewed Triple H many times. What's he like? You hear the word, and you just said it. We create moments. Yes. He says he said that a, a, no less than a dozen times. I put smiles on people's faces. Right? That, that, that is one of <laughs> yeah. Triple H's signature, you know, media phrases. Is you know, this business is about creating moments as much as it mm-hmm. is anything else. And tri- Triple H is fantastic. He was the first guy, and we talked about this earlier when the tape wasn't running. He's one of the first guys to give me a one-on-one. When he didn't have to, at the height of his world title runs, so he was. They were in town. I had done an interview with Edge at Walmart uh, for his book. So this puts the time frame for you. It was when Edge's book was out. He was promoting his book. They had a show at the Memorial Center. So I went down, and again in this small town house show, I'm the only act in town. Right? There's no other media. Yeah. There. So I, I had a good relationship with the girls. Uh, who worked for WWE at the time in media relations. One of them was that was down here was one of the ones I had a really good relationship with. So I said, hey, Cheryl, is there any chance I can talk to Triple H? She yeah. Said, she, normally, if I were in Toronto or somewhere else, they would have just been like, no, he's not doing mm-hmm. There's no way. I'm not even going to ask him. So she said, you know what? It's a house show. Nobody else around. She says, worst he can say is no. I'll just go ask him. So she sauntered to the back and... She came back out. She said, you know what? He says, if you'll talk about his movie, then he'll do it. Yeah. And he was in the Blade movie at the time. Blade oh, that's Trinity. cool. That's a real movie. Like, yeah. Not, like, yeah. Blade, movie. Blade Trinity. Yeah. So, you know, in my head, I'm saying to myself, he wants to talk about the corn in his, you know, poop. <laughs> I'll talk about that. Right? Yeah. Like it's Triple H for Christ's sake. He's the world champ. So he came out and he, as soon as he came out, he's, he shook my hand. He's like, Oh, crap, I forgot the title. Do you want me to go get it? We'll take some pictures, right? Yeah. So I said, well, let's just, we'll just do the interview. It's all good. So I had a photographer with me from the wig, and, uh, yeah, I talked to him for about 10 minutes. We talked a little bit about DX, about the title run, about uh, the movie, yeah, you know, things like that, and uh, shook his hand, took a photo with me, and he went back. And that was a big moment for me, right? Like, yeah. It was like, hey, you know, I, ca- I can do this. You know, Cena had done one for me. I've interviewed John Cena three or four times, but the Triple H one was a big, big moment for me in my journalism career. It's like yeah. those types of moments you don't forget. I've got a picture of myself with Ted RCD when I was like seven years old. Fuck. He's holding me up. I've got it at the house. He's, He's got it jacked. on my shoulder. <laughs> yeah. How many, like, what was that like sitting on a mountain of acne? Well, to be, <laughs> to be honest, you know how that happened? We were, my dad knew the, uh, the manager of the Memorial Center. That's okay. where all the wrestling used to be in Kingston. And uh, he got us in early. So let's say the card started at 7.30. Well, yeah. my dad got us in at like 4 o'clock or 4.30. Oh, for like, a, like a, an unscheduled meet and greet. Kind of. We just sat in the... In the in the stands mm-hmm. and then but the wrestlers were walking in they were still setting some stuff up and the wrestlers were walking in i was saying to my dad that's ted rcd that's ted rcd 
And uh, my dad's like, well, go ask him for his autograph. And I still remember it. He was, he had a leather coat on and he had just come from his car yeah. and he was walking towards like the little aisleway where they go back to the dressing room. And uh, I was nervous. I was like seven years yeah. old and I walk up to the railing and I said, uh, excuse me, sir, could I have your autograph please? And he looked at me and he goes, why, why should I give you my autograph? You don't even know who I am. And he just kept walking down the the uh like aisle. little aisle way going towards he wasn't the, even like a heel tunnel. at the time what no, an I, asshole oh i know and he was actually like ornery <laughs> about it and then so right before he, he went through the door and disappeared i said you're a strong man ted arcidi i yelled that to him and he kind of just looked back at me and out he went and my dad was livid my dad's like what a jerk you know yeah. an ass so we're sitting in this in the stands and it was like the first match maybe the second match had happened i was actually sitting beside um brooklyn brawler's wife steve lombardi wow yeah i was yeah. sitting beside her his wife um, my dad and i and then all of a sudden uh i hear um because there's like there's like the laneway kind of thing where they walk out like the tunnel and then he like all of a sudden i just hear psst psst kid kid and then I look over and it's our CD. Yeah. Now he's all in his in his tights and everything. And he and he like waves me over to the railing part. And then he's like, come down here, come down here. And then he looks at my dad and my dad shakes his head. Yeah. So he lifts me over. They take me in the back, take me to the tunnel. He autographs a bunch of stuff. He puts me up on his shoulder. There's a photographer back there. They take a bunch of pictures. And he's like, sorry. He's like, I had a real shitty ride down there. Sorry, I acted that way. And I was like, wow, I didn't know what oh, to say. Oh, I, now I feel bad, Ted <laughs> RCD. I'm oh, so, I'm so a, sorry. Oh, he was a gem, right? He's yeah. a gem. And uh, and then, for, but for him to do that, because it was, it obviously played on his mind for about fifteen or twenty yeah. minutes. And Kingston's a little shit town; he didn't have to do that. No, but, but he just weight lifted my heart right yeah, there. He just... Yeah, that's God's honest <laughs> truth. I still have the picture, and and he's a really good guy. Because some of them would probably just go back and say, "I don't give a shit," you know what I mean? But obviously, yeah, totally. He went into the dressing room and was thinking about it, like, "What am I doing?" You know. But he made the effort to come back out and not only give me a five second autograph. He spent about ten minutes with me. That's great. All right, so we rolled into clip number six, as you just heard Jan Murphy and Ryan Denis. And like I said, um, those guys have been so pivotal uh, to this show's success. They set me up with Ted DiBiase. I went on a road trip with Ryan Denis, and we went to Detroit to meet up with Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, WWE Hall of Famer and legend, one of the greatest heels of all time. What a trip that was. It was so much fun, like, you know... We went, uh, we got there at about 10 o'clock at night. We got out to his hotel. We met him in his hotel bar, uh, had drinks with him for a couple hours, and we shared stories. He told stories. Uh, it was fantastic. The next day we woke up, we went to Bob Evans for breakfast. Man, people just take to Ted DiBiase like he was Hulk Hogan. You would think he was a good guy his entire career because people just love him. And he is so kind and he is so nice. You, you can understand. I can't believe that a guy who is so sinister is now a minister. You know, what a great actor. Clearly to play uh, such an evil character as the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. You know, he is a talented actor and even a more talented wrestler and just one hell of a nice guy. And he was on the show and nice enough to do the podcast. I couldn't pick one clip from the Ted DiBiase Million Dollar Man episode. So we got two clips here and we're going to play them back to back. The first one is uh, the investment question that I asked him right off the top of the show. And then, of course, the question that I had to ask him, there's no way I could not ask him about wrestling 
or being a part of the main event, which was on February 5th, 1988, where Andre the Giant faced Hulk Hogan and Ted DiBiase. Well, you know, he owned the contract of Andre at the time. And, um, well, we, we all know what happened. The double Hebner, you know, it was Ted DiBiase really, really was evil. And we talk about um, what he did that night. And, uh, and the interviews afterwards and uh it's a moment that i i love from my childhood was watching that clip and listening to ted get to talk about it and making jokes about it man what a what a night what a day what an issue ted dibiase issue 11 so check that out and uh and play that clip now and uh we'll move along enjoy so I have I have some notes and I have some questions. Now some of these questions are serious, and some of these questions uh, the show is like uh, where wrestling and comedy collide. So I'll just start with this, a serious question, then maybe we'll work into some funny okay. questions. So when you started the Million Dollar Corporation, that was deep in your WWE run or WWF run, whatever you want to call it. You you feel you got your money's worth out of your investment on Nikolai Volkov. <laughs> that's a serious question. No, that's a, <laughs> no, that's a joke. No, oh my god! You paid one cent oh for him. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! That was so. That, that that that's funny. No, no. That, actually, that was like. Well, I'll tell you what. In the long run, I probably got more out of Nikolai than I did Virgil. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably totally true. Nikolai's at least had a a long career and uh, many belts. February 5th, 1988. I remember that like yesterday. I was in grade nine. I was supposed to go to a high school dance that night and we moved Saturday night's main event to Friday and it was the big deal. It was your night. And I always wondered about this. I thought the funniest line in the whole scenario, of course, everybody knows what happens. Hogan uh, lost the belt unfairly and, and you bought the title off Andre and you purchased Andre weeks earlier off of uh, Bobby Heenan and you found the other Hebner and you brought him in. And, and what I love is where Hogan says in the interview afterwards was how much for the plastic surgery? Like that to me was the funniest line like i would have just thought oh you found out this this referee had a twin brother and you went and brought him in <laughs> but that's not the storyline the storyline the, the storyline is you went out and got another human being gave them the plastic surgery yeah. to look like a referee yeah. to swindle Hogan out of the yeah. belt i was like that's ridiculous that's too far oh, like yeah, you know yeah. but i did would that have been a line that he had to hit in his promo or was that just a line that he threw in off the top I, I, of his I, I mind. I think he threw that in. That's the uh, yeah, funniest was, line ever. Yeah. Oh yeah. How much for the how much for the plastic surgery? Yeah, I mean he, you know, again, back then, you know, we didn't have writers. Mm -hmm. We didn't have scripted interviews. We had bullet points. Yeah. And as long as we hit the bullet points, we told the story. Mhm. Mm and a lot of people don't know that you actually held that title for a week and you defended it at house shows, did you not? Yeah. Yeah, and that's fine. But yeah. Well, I don't know so much as I defended it, but, you know, I was, you know, I was I walked to the ring for a week, maybe two, you know, wearing the belt, you know, and being introduced as, you know, the, the WWF world champion. So you won the bet between you and Steve Williams. 
So here we are to clip eight. I have my old roommate, Michelle Shaughnessy, who's a very funny comedian. She was campaigning for votes for Top Comic at the time. Uh, she was up for Top Comic in Canada, a competition that wins you $25,000. And you have to uh, do three rounds or maybe even four rounds of uh, to get to the finals, which she made to the finals. Unfortunately, she, uh, she didn't uh, place in the top three. I believe she came fourth. Uh, I think it was... Uh, a six-way tie for fourth and uh she was lucky enough to be one of those people she came on the show with her boyfriend uh from degrassi fame uh stefan brogan better known as snake and uh snake does a lot of uh, comic cons uh being a, a cast member of degrassi and they do the comic cons with the original cast members and and are very popular at the canadian comic cons and so Michelle and Snake are on, and they're talking about uh, what it's like meeting wrestlers at Comic-Cons, because wrestlers do Comic-Cons as well. So uh, take a listen to uh, Michelle Shaughnessy's elevator ride with, uh, well, just listen. You'll never guess who she got to take a ride with on an elevator. So enjoy that. From my small experience with wrestlers, I'm I'm just surprised how shy they are, and they but the the ones that like behind the scenes, yeah, you know when they are when they're sort of in the world, they kind of like like when I met I met Mick very briefly, and mm-hmm. he you know he like he knows Michelle on a on a level that's like they're they're big hugs and 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 they talk, but for the rest of the like the time that I saw I've, I've seen him, he was really sort of keeps to himself, he's fairly quiet, yeah, you know, and I thought I I appreciate that though also though he's like you know he turns on the performance, he turns off the performance like a lot of us do. Oh, Oh, yeah you know and uh I, I was just sort of i was taken aback by a lot of these wrestlers who you know i think we saw sting a little while mm-hmm. ago and Sin- i was too shy to say hi yeah because we stefan has been doing comic cons which i think we'll talk about yeah soon yeah. and we'll talk about it now we a lot of wrestlers are doing them and i texted casey and i was like oh my god i just shared it. i was in an elevator alone with ryback but he just you could tell he was tired he just finished his long day at comic con signing autographs talking to people so i'm very conscious of that like i don't want it's gotta be exhausting exactly so they, i don't want to like fan over these people after they've just had like thousands of fans what i didn't realize about comic con was how big the wrestling aspect yeah. of it was so I didn't say anything to him. Like I didn't. They are, they he just finished the li- his work day. They have the craziest lineups. So They're, I texted Casey. I'm like, I just showed an elevator with Ryback, yeah. and I'm, I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want to be like, eh, I'm such a fan. So I just tweeted at him. I'm like, I just shared an elevator with Ryback with this too. Should I to say hi? So I'm just like, hi. And then he followed me on Twitter, and I was like, oh my god. So now we follow each other. He's huge. Uh, he's huge. Yes. He's huge. He's, he's like he, his his uh, theme is feed me, me more. Yeah. He stole it from. Seymour yeah, Seymour yeah, yeah. Real know, horse. And that's what yeah. I always say yeah. that, It was feed funny me. So he laughed Because that's what I always say To Stefan Like in the house I'm always like Feed me <laughs> Stefan <laughs> But anyways I thought it was uh, You know Little Shop of Horrors yeah, It turns yeah. out It's a wrestling yeah. thing It's right back like, Feed me and You think it's Little Shop of Horrors And she's talking wrestling yeah. yeah Oh totally I'm realizing a lot of things That Michelle talks about Are uh, involved wrestling It's feed me Seymour yeah. Not uh, feed me more Because I, I tweeted that And then uh, Casey tweeted He's like Hey everyone one, if you were in an elevator with Ryback, what would you say to him? And we did to get like that. Yeah, and I was just like, feed me. But yeah, so he followed me and that made me so happy. I'm like, oh, oh. but I wish I had a set sign, but I didn't want to bother him. You could yeah, tell he was tired. Like, He's in his hotel. But then I was like texting Casey. I'm like, stinks at the next table. You know, Snake being from Degrassi, uh, Degrassi is a legendary television show right now. Like, it's legendary. Everybody knows Degrassi in Canada. People know it in Australia. People know it in America. I can't even imagine what my childhood would be with that with Degrassi. So combining Degrassi and wrestling together was a, a fun episode. 
Uh, this next clip, we have uh, the current star of Letterkenny on Crave TV, uh, one of Canada's most popular comedies right now. Uh, he plays Squirrely Dan. And uh, let's listen to Kay Trevor Wilson telling us to, um, his stories of uh, doing roast battles on Comedy Central. You're like, what does this have to do with wrestling? Well, you know, you might have remembered the first season of Roast Battles. There was the Mad Mountain of Comedy, K. Trevor Wilson in Montreal competing. He was on uh, three nights in a row on Comedy Central. He was roast battling a guy named Earl Skakel, who used to host Piper's Pit along with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Well, he did a joke that involved wrestling. And the next day that joke went viral. And here we are talking about that joke and his roast battle experience. So if you're easily offended by Chris Benoit jokes, well, don't listen to this clip. Just go to clip 10 and I'll meet you there. But for those of you who want to hear K. Trevor Wilson's stories about uh, the roast battles and and his Chris Benoit joke, well, keep on listening because it's coming up right now enjoy let's talk about this let's go to the what i like to call the the second montreal screw job uh actually i tweeted when it happened because <laughs> uh, i was very upset i was in i was in halifax um watching roast battle when you were doing the roast battles and just the first roast battle it just for last when it was taped and uh i think you were like the surprise of the definitely the surprise of the roast battle as I don't know if people expected you to move on, but you made it to the final, right? Was it final? Well, I made it to the the uh, semi the, the, the semifinals, and then I but you we, lost we had, to the champion. Uh, I lost to the champion Mike Lawrence, and then I lost again to, to Earl. Earl Skakel, putting me in fourth place overall. For but the- I remember this is what I typed. Two words can describe K. Trav Wilson's loss to Mike Lawrence tonight on Comedy Central roast battle. Hashtag Montreal screw job. I honestly, I had it marked three to one for you. Because I was, I was, I was sat there at home watching, baked out of my mind with my two fists in the air and it would go joke for joke. And I'd be like, okay. And the rebuttal would get a half point in my mind. Yeah. If you were good on the rebuttal, because a lot of the roast battle is not the necessarily the joke, but your response to the joke right away, I find is great. And, and Mike is terrific uh, for for having rebuttals. His rebuttals were fantastic, yeah. and I think sometimes that's where you know that's he was where it sort of skews. I think his his rebuttals were were uh, were what gave him the edge. And actually, they mentioned that Judd said something about how like he he Mike has a way of uh, almost sneaking in an extra joke, which may have given him the edge. Mind you, in hindsight, Judd has also said that he was on something that night, and yes. he might have been wrong about his decision. He might have been wrong about his so decision. There is controversy. There is controversy. You had a joke that went viral amongst wrestling nerds on Reddit the next day. Like that was, even though everybody was talking about your the Montreal screw job performance, but everybody else was talking. Like the next day, your Chris Benoit joke, everybody was talking about it. I'm on multiple wrestling forums, and it was posted on every wrestling forum, not just the Canadian Mega Powers, like different forums for different podcasts. This joke was posted. And uh, now, what was the joke exactly? Well, Earl Skakel, uh, who I was up against, another big uh, wrestling another fan. Big, I met Earl in L.A. years ago. Actually, it was funny. We were outside the improv, and not to get off the story, but, but Jay Rouse was with me, and he was like, oh, you got to meet this guy over here. He used to host uh, Piper's Pit with Roddy Piper on his podcast, and uh, he loves hair metal. You have to meet him. 
you know, and then I met Earl Skakel and yeah. actually we got along great. We talked about wrestling. Earl's we talked about metal. Terrific. Just so nice. Anyway, yeah, such a fun guy. But yeah, Earl, uh, being a big wrestling fan. And, and if you watch the roast battles, he you was channeling his, his inner Rick Rude for most of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's got a penchant, we might say, for dressing up as wrestlers. Yeah. For different things. So, uh, the joke actually, uh, I've never, uh, said this, uh, on a podcast before, but it's been a couple of years. Uh, Tyler Morrison gave me that joke. Well, Tyler Morrison is probably one of, for those of you who don't know, he's, he's a one rude dude and he is, uh, I have to say, like, even though you're the roast master of Canada because of the roast battles, I think Tyler Morrison, joke for joke, is the best roast joke he is, writer. He is the that unsung champion of of uh, roasting in Canada, uh, and probably, yeah, I mean, no, not even probably. He's, so quick, so fast. The best roast joke writer I personally, you know. Uh, uh, hang out with he had that one joke against virgil again he was doing the iron sheiks roast yes and the, he said uh, called virgil i virgil what do you call it he was like django unpaid <laughs> i like the joke he had about virgil where he said you know in, in uh wwe they named virgil after uh they named him virgil after his old boss dusty Rhodes, and then in uh wcw they named him uh vince and shane after his old bosses in wwf so that's why his new name is uh subway night manager <laughs> <laughs> but uh but the, the joke was uh, so it was in reference to earl being a fitness guy and dressing up as wrestlers and he goes uh we go uh earl it's well known that you like to dress up as wrestlers when you work out next time you should dress up as chris benoit because the only thing your weight room should be used for is killing yourself and anyone who's ever loved you <laughs> and uh uh <laughs> And how and that hit like I remember being like oh like the, the, you know the, the crowd reacted and and, and Earl like because that was my that was my finisher on Earl yeah and and you saw Earl take a beat with it like he stopped and he had to smile like he loved that joke he, he you know, afterwards he was like that's a great joke oh and uh, um yeah it, it and it, it went all across the uh, the wrestling forums and. Uh, I actually, um, I was really nervous about, about a backlash. I was really nervous about catching heat. A backlash. Sorry. Yeah. That's the Benoit pay-per-view. My favorite Benoit pay-per-view is Backlash Edmonton. Sorry. Uh, like I, I was nervous. I, I might catch heat from, uh, Wrestlers from some or- guys for, for doing it. And generally any wrestler I've talked to about it, they were like, we don't have any, uh, like no, no one's fooling ourselves. Like, he did an awful thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like that you, the, you're not, you're not slaughtering the golden calf on that one. Like, no, it's, it's, uh, it's okay to, no one's going to give you heat over that one. That was K Trevor Wilson, uh, doing his Chris Benoit Rose battle story. Now it's time for a request and dedication of the week. This letter comes in from Rory Scoville, a comedian out of LA. Rory says, hey, Casey, I'm one of your best friends, and I don't like wrestling, but I want to be on your podcast because you're a good guy, and I'm a good guy, and us good guys stick together. Can I come on your wrestling podcast? Well, Rory, 
thanks for your request and dedication. And uh, because you sent us such a nice letter, we've had you on our podcast. And it's clip 10, issue 17, Rory Scoville, who doesn't know much about wrestling but knows one thing, what character he'd like to be. And here is The Professor. He's been on Conan seven times. You might have seen him on Ground Floor. Uh, you might have seen him on uh, many things, many things. Rory Scoville, I was going to say, is in the studio. No, we're in his hotel room. Rory Scoville is on the show right now. Oh. He has entrance music. He's coming down the aisle at a weight of 200 and... I am the professor. <laughs> I'm the professor, and my entrance music is We Don't Need No Education. <laughs> but that, that puts a professor out of work immediately. And that's why I wrestle. I'm the professor who wrestles. <laughs> you see, you're laughing, but Rory. At one time, there was a television series yeah. called Learning the Ropes. Yeah. What was about a teacher who moonlit as a wrestler at night. Is this real? Lila Zato played the, uh, played the teacher. Learning the Ropes. I it, get it. It was filmed up here in Canada. And uh, one season, 22 episodes. But yeah. they're very hard to find. Of course they are. So you're The right professor. On. The professor. Oh, yeah. And you know who the professor could have as his uh, manager? Who? Marianne. Get out of here. Professor and Mary Ann. <laughs> and that's how I would dress. Yeah. The Gilligan's Island professor. You're wearing the professor. Give it up tan. for the professor. You're wearing the tan pants right now. Sounds like a male stripper. The, the professor. So you can take your attention to the main stage. We've got the professor. And he'll be taking off his shirt to get greasy yeah. with another man. He's going to get greased up, but I'm not ripped or anything. It's flailing skin. You don't have to be ripped you don't have to. anymore. You don't have to. That's right. Cruiserweights. That's you right. You could be a cruiserweight. Yep. Or you could be a good manager. You know, it's always such a, a compliment when your friend says, if you got into wrestling, I think you'd make a great manager. <laughs> All I've ever wanted to be is a manager. Because there are not a lot of fat wrestlers that make it to the elite level. But managers, there's plenty of fat managers. Yeah. I just said this in the last, in last week's episode, but this is going to air wait four weeks from now. So that was Rory talking about being the professor. Um, you know, hey, here's the thing. A lot of these shows, I know the people that are on the shows. Most of these people are my, already my friends. However, uh, sometimes my producer wants to bring in someone that he thinks would be good for a show. The big Ross man. He wants somebody to come in and do the show. He wanted his mentor to come in and do the show because his mentor was a huge wrestling fan. I did not know who this person was. I had to Google him. But... Eventually, we got him on the show, and it became one of my favorite episodes. Uh, from Rudy Blair Entertainment, we have Rudy Blair uh, telling us about, oh my God, listen to the Rudy Blair episode, folks. It is so good. So many great stories. And uh, here's uh, Belt Makers by, uh, from issue 15, Rudy Blair. I hope you enjoy it. You know, when you're talking about t-shirts and stuff, the thing that you know the the wrestling fan today has access to that i didn't you didn't were the wrestling belts yes um because when i was a kid probably like you cena did it anybody i've spoken to all did it we made our own belts yeah i made i made a championship belt last weekend at 12:30 at night <laughs> when i was baked 
because I realized I won $10,000 in a comedy competition uh, in Bradford. Congratulations. Thank you. And I realized I can't carry this giant check around like Owen carries the Slammies. I need something out there that I can go out to the comedy club and be like, I'm a champion. So I made, and obviously I also love gags. And my roommate is another comedian who's also a wrestling fan. So, um... I had I cooked a pizza one night and I had the pizza uh, cardboard from underneath it was just a perfect circle I'm like and I was like looking at I'm like well goddamn I'm I'm making myself a wrestling belt out of that I grabbed the tin foil the markers and I went into my room and then I walked out with it on a title on a belt and I, it says Brantford Comedy Fest Champion I did I'm 43 years old. <laughs> Lonely on a Saturday night, midnight, cruising Tinder, making championship titles. What a loser uh, I am. But no. Hey, I got the... But that's the thing. We had to make our belts. We had to make my belt I made when I was about, I think, 10 or 11 years old. I was able to get a long piece of vinyl. Yes. Okay. I cut that and... I was able to, my dad, who was a welder, uh, he had this really thin metal sheet that, you know, you got those metal scissors. Yeah. I was able to cut a shape that looked very much like the AWA belt. I actually used a bottle to sort of trace around that curved part. Yeah. Ruler straight. And then the curved part again, I cut that. Then I was really creative with this. Then I went to uh, sort of like one of those uh, stores where you can get, you know, those sticker lettering mm-hmm. uh, that you can do where you can like it has AAA, BBB that you can pull off, you can stick on stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. I got gold ones because the metal was silver. So yeah. I got that. And I was able to cut out an eagle because most of these championships either had a, uh, you know, the globe, the the yeah, world. Globe, or, roses, or, or eagles. Or eagles. So yeah. I cut an eagle out and I put that. I, I got, you know, heavy tape and I glued it all on. And uh, then... I was able to take a screwdriver and a screw and screw it through the metal. Like it was all coming together yeah. right down to the point where I could make a hook behind me to put this belt around me. I had the sides done too. So it was, uh, you know, metal sides and everything. I, my dad, of course, like I said, was a welder. So I was able to spray paint the, uh, inside of it. So it was gold. The Eagle was gold, mm-hmm. silver. You have the writing world heavyweight champion wrestling. I put this on. And my dad looked at it and he went, I can't believe you did that. Like, he was actually proud of me because I was so creative in making this. And I took it to Maple Leaf Gardens once. And I remember everybody looking at me going, where did you get that? Like, they thought that I bought it off somewhere. I was like, no, I made it. Now, of course, you can go and you can order any belt that you want. The first thing about that story is I realized that my belt at 43 is shit. Ah, <laughs> uh, man. I was so happy with tinfoil on a pizza with a pizza square. But now you got you got welding. You got you grabbing eagles. Uh, you know That's what? amazing. No, that you is know really what? amazing. I was just, and I think I still have, I think it's over at my parents' place. I got to look for this thing because I know I never got rid of it. So it has to be somewhere around, but it was just one of those. And, and the cool thing was because the uh, metal was so sort of like loose, 
it would bend around me. That's fantastic. You know, so I could actually put it on. And, you know, when nobody was in the house, I'd stand in front of, you know, the mirror and I'd do the poses. Yeah. I'd do the uh, Ric Flair NWA pose holding the belt, you know. I'd put oh, it over my put, shoulder. Throw, throw that suit jacket on oh, yeah. and hold it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I put on a suit. And stood there in front of the mirror, just holding my title. It was just like, <laughs> oh man, it was just so much fun. Now, like you said, now people can pay two, three, four, five, a thousand dollars, whatever. You know, get their belt. Yeah, but uh, they actually set up a concession, just belts with belts. Yeah, and and, and you no cash. Credit cards and and debit, and they give you. Uh, to me, it's like I know the belt is just a prop. Yeah, but to me, it's like this is the one thing that bothers me because I'm such a stickler. I'm like, I hate looking out and seeing everybody wearing the championship in the audience. Because what value does that give to Jinder's championship? I agree with you. Like, I'm like to me, it's like if it's just a prop, it's just a prop. Then then sell it. But like, if you want the title to have value, stop selling them. Stop. I agree with you. I'm like, you should. You have to earn that title. Like, there are people that dream. I'm like, now everybody's a Ted DiBiase can just go buy their own title. I agree with you. You know, I get it. If you want to have a championship belt that you want to get autographed and maybe put in a, a case that would look amazing. And I would love something like that, but you'll never catch me wearing a store, like a WWE title. Look at my buddy bought the money in the bank briefcase. I held it the entire way home from the subway. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. I said, I said, this is something I would use in everyday life. I would go to interviews and be like, hold on. And I pull out the briefcase and crack it open and I, is that a money in the bank i'm like i'm not gonna waste it on you don't worry i was like i have other things besides my contract and when he bought it i was like open it up make sure that contract's in there and he's like there's no contract i'm like tell them there's no contract and see so be like but the money in the bank briefcase comes with the contract for a title shot so i'm gonna need that title shot contract i, I love it they even had money in the bank uh, lunch boxes for kids for a grade school so they'd have their money in the bank briefcase oh my god uh, as a lunch box and i'm like oh my god so many kids are getting hit upside the head with the lunch box <laughs> at lunch you know it's like is my ham out of here because smack you know oh man but it's just it's all part of it it's all you know the idea of making your belts and making your outfits like when you were a kid obviously you had a belt because did you wrestle in it like in, in like with your friends did you I never, do that? I, you know that was a funny thing i never wrestled with it never wrestled with it all i did was pose with the belt yeah that was the only thing that mattered to me i just wanted to see myself standing i used to do my own interviews too i would sort of pretend i was the the announcer who was saying you know okay so uh you know this saturday or the sunday uh april whatever maple leaf gardens uh so-and-so is wrestling so and so-and-so is wrestling so and for the world title uh ricky steamboat the challenger is taking on rudy blair and i would walk into the mirror and i would do my my Entire you know promo. yeah just you know talking about you know Ricky Steamboat can't beat me, you know. I've been world champion for three years, you know, blah, 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 whatever. I, I just used to do that because I loved watching the interviews. Like I said, I loved the action. I loved I loved the drama. I loved the storylines because yeah. I never knew what was going to be said, what was going to happen. Um, but those interviews... Man, I just dug those interviews. Just hearing those wrestlers, when you heard somebody... 
like a Roddy Piper or a Ric Flair, who are or who I consider like, oh man, Arn Anderson, yes, giving a promo, and you're just like in awe and everything that he's saying. I've stolen his line many times. I'm like, I'm not one to toot my own horn, but toot toot. <laughs> toot, toot. Like, you know how many times I've used that? Like, yeah. you know, you walk off stage after a great set. I'm like, I don't want to toot my own horn. I love that saying. I love that line. That was Belt Makers by Rudy Blair. Folks, you know, I got to stop saying enjoy it. Enjoy it. I think I've said it almost every clip. Don't worry, I just went while that clip was playing and I got a thesaurus. And now I've got different words for enjoy. So, uh, folks, let's go into uh, clip number 12 because uh, we're following a media personality with another media personality. In clip 12, issue number 10, we had Ken Reed from Sportsnet. Uh, weekdays, uh, nightly, he's on every night, and his brother, uh, comedian Peter Anthony. Peter Anthony, one of my best friends as well, um, they're on the show, and uh, Ken Reed has always had an obsession with mustaches, especially 70s style, 80s style mustaches, and uh, in this clip, we're talking uh, who's the best mustache ever in wrestling. So listen to Ken and listen to Peter, and uh, and uh, let's find who do you think has the best mustache you know, tweet at us. Give us a shout out. But on this issue, this is who we thought had the best mustaches. So I hope you have fun listening to this one. Oh, this horse is coming in handy already. Here's uh, Ken Reed and Peter Anthony, folks. Now, uh, Kenny, you love mustaches. I, I, I love mustaches. Probably because my dad had one as a child. So and when I was a child, he didn't have one when he was a child. Who had great mustaches in wrestling? Hulk Hogan's obviously it's like you don't even Epic. that's that goes without saying he, uh, he shaved it for a movie one time and he came back and it was just not the same uh, yeah uh, Ravishing Rick Rude fantastic solid stash to go Mag- along Magnum with Magnum TA fantastic oh Magnum TA nice call yeah great mustache yeah he could have been something they say my my, my favorite one was the Iron Sheik because he had the the handle the, the curls hand. yes oh, the, 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 the rolly fingers yeah the, the rolly fingers curls around the side I love that a pitcher's name was Rolly Fingers and his mustache he had to oh, use finger rolling roll to get that mustache <laughs> yeah it was like it's, how does that even come about he was legally yeah. obligated to do it I know Rolly I bet you rolled joints too and all yeah. sorts of things I, I would say uh, Rick Rude would be top of my list because it was thick and he'd, he'd do that thing yeah. where he'd kind of perk his lips up and dabble his chin where his mustache looked like it was very intelligent I think Rude Hogan definitely Magnum TA was another one that had a great mustache did uh, Val Venus have a mustache no he had a dirt he goatee Okay. See a lot of a lot of beards and a lot of goatees in wrestling, but not oh. a lot of just pure mustaches. Not a lot of just pure eighty stashes. That's a good point. Yeah, I'm trying. You know, oh, maybe Rick now. Steiner at some point. Now, well, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And, and multi died, and that's obviously where the Hulkster got it. Now, did superstars come in a goatee, or was it just like he? It he's was a, It was a dyed goatee. Yes, I think. that's controversial. So but, we don't really know what that is. But when superstar, when he came back the first time before he disappeared again and came back again. Mm-hmm. Um, um, he came back like so he was superstar and they left and then he was like he he shaved his head bald yeah and he grew a, just a black mustache yes. and then he came back with, with uh, black karate pants he's like yeah 
I'm now a kung fu master. <laughs> and he was just doing the kung fu. Everybody was like, no, you're the no, Thai guy king. You're superstar Billy Graham. He's like, nope, I'm this guy. And you could tell, like, nobody wanted to accept yeah. his, you know, like, no, no, that's horrible. Yeah. And that's uh, like when Kiss wrote Forever. It's like, oh, no. No. Yeah. But they never wrote Forever. Michael Bolton like wrote it. And, and I, I disagree with that total, wholeheartedly. Totally. You don't do I love Forever. All right. There we go. So those are the stashes that we're talking about. Who couldn't love the Iron Sheik stash? You know, there's so many other mustaches that we didn't even get to mention. Like, oh my God, do you remember when Scott Hall had a mustache? Are you fucking kidding me? Oh my God, Joey Ryan, right now, one of the best stashes in the biz. I swear to God, one of the best in the biz. They had to talk about whether Val Venus was, had a mustache, but he had a coatee. And uh, why am I bringing up Val Venus? Well, because... Uh, Val Venus followed my talking wrestling Instagram account. And uh, so I w- I thought, uh, you know, here's a good thing to do. I sent him a message because we could direct message each other. And I asked him if he was interested in uh, going to a vape lounge and getting high and talking wrestling next time he's in Toronto. And he said he would love to. So hopefully next year we get Val Venus on the show for one of the most cheaped up episodes issues ever. Folks, this brings us into clip 13. Uh, Tyler Morrison, who's one of the best joke writers in the country. Tyler Morrison is also a roast master. And uh, he's on with my roommate, Jeff McHenry. And uh, he's talking about uh, the Iron Sheik roast at Caroline's in New York City. He was there. And uh, the roast of the Iron Sheik. And not only was Iron Sheik there, a lot of other wrestlers were there. And when uh, when you're in a roast and Tyler Morrison is uh, on the dais, nobody's safe. Not even New Jack. And especially not you, Virgil. So here's uh, Tyler Morrison and Jeff McHenry talking about uh, roasting wrestlers. Well, yeah, so it was, it was really... Uh you know, kind of a weird lineup of guys. And then you had comedians. You had Kurt Metzger, Jesse Joyce, Tony Hinscliffe. There's some, like, heavy hitters on the show. But uh, the wrestlers, they didn't – some of them didn't really know. They didn't really understand, like, the roasting side of it. So they did, couldn't take a joke. Obviously, New Jack, New Jack didn't like it and made fun of <laughs> Virgil fucking hated it. Virgil – like, I ripped the fuck out of Virgil, and I knew he wasn't happy. But I think he, like, thought that Kurt Metzger was the one that just did that to him. So he – fucking karate chop Kurt Metzger in the chest but I think that karate chop was for me (laughs) and Metzger just took the bump probably (laughs) from what Ted DiBiase has told me Virgil is not the smartest person in a a room filled with him fucking maniac dude and so and like what what, what was happening is like Virgil was getting the crowd really wound up and the crowd it's a wrestling crowd they're unforgiving you know they do like the one in Toronto Todd Shapiro got booed off the fucking stage it still haunts him to this day. Uh, <laughs> the, and then, and then in, in New York, like Virgil had this crowd at like there. It was like the at the boiling point. I know if you talk to some of the comics that were there, like Jarrett Campbell and uh, Pavone and those guys and Mayhew, they thought like at any minute this thing could erupt into a in, like a giant uh, brawl, a royal rumble. It, it almost did. And someone was like yelling at them at uh, Virgil to like hit Jesse Joyce, and like the crowd was like getting behind that. Like, and I could tell jesse joyce wasn't liking that at all like and i was just thinking like if if virgil hits him i'm gonna have to punch virgil but my like 
my line of like where if I had to hit him, he would have went flying right over the iron sheik and probably broke the sheik's leg and landed on the front table, <laughs> and then everyone would have got killed on the show. So it was a, it was just a real weird situation. I was glad that I went early on that roast because the crowd, you know, they turned against the comedians by the end of it. If they did a roast at the WWE, like the yearly annual WWE roast, they would end it in a food fight somehow, like in some eighties promo that they you know that we watched on superstars or or they still do it today they'll be backstage at raw and everybody and there'll be a cake and then there's just a big food fight for some reason and it's, todd ah. pentengale's there with his fucking mullet <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that is awesome now do you remember any of the jokes that you uh, did for Virgil? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jeff, you wrote one uh, yeah, that I used. Casey's favorite joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you remember it? Uh, yeah, it was like uh, it was like uh, Virgil was once called uh, Vincent as a, uh, a dig at his old boss, Vince McMahon. That's why he now goes by the name of Night Manager at Popeyes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that was, well, I did that. See, joke. Yeah. Well, it was so it was so funny because when I found out that you wrote that joke because when K Treb was on the podcast in our fourth episode, he's like, "Well, I think I can say this now. I think it's some people know." And the Benoit joke was actually written by Tyler Morrison. Yeah, did he tell like, that joke? On the, you, you want to tell that I joke? I don't even remember which one it was, but he did, he did it on the comedy. Yeah. Show. The Chris Benoit joke yeah. where it was it was something along the Because it went viral the next day on Reddit. like, mm-hmm. And wrestling nerds were going nuts for it because this guy comes on stage in a roast battle and does a wrestling joke at Earl Skakel, <laughs> who totally got it because he was emulating a wrestler the and entire he's a time. Wrestling fan. He's, was, he co-hosted a podcast with Rowdy Piper's Piper. Piper. Yep. Yeah, and it was just so funny because so the line went to something like uh, Earl. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be like K. Trav. I don't have. I usually I don't have to try to be like K. Trav. I get mistaken for him all the time. You know, when we we on many occasions we've been mistaken for each other. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, it's just basically. Uh, Earl, your favorite wrestler is Chris Benoit. So why don't you be like Chris Benoit and just go kill yourself and everyone that you has ever <laughs> to go kill yourself and anyone that has ever loved you. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, so I said, so I I came in and I I told that joke to Jeff. I was like, it's so funny that Kate Trev admitted it. I was like, oh, and I was like. Tyler, such a good joke. I remember watching that Virgil fucking when he roasted Virgil, and I said, and he did this joke about, and I then McHenry's like, hey, that's my joke. Yeah, I yeah that, was, that was Jeff's. For, he wrote that one for me. I think that was the only one that I used that I think uh, someone else wrote on that one. But like, yeah, it was yeah. perfect. And the, the other one I did, uh, I'm trying to think. That, oh, I go, did someone say Candyman in the mirror five times? No. So then, what the fuck is Virgil doing here? <laughs> you charred corpse of a man. You look like weekend. At burn victims. <laughs> Django unpaid. Yeah, Django yeah, unpaid. Virgil, as I call him, Django unpaid. And that then, uh, yeah, there's, a, there's a, I, the only, oh, I take a swing at you, but that'd be hitting below the poverty line. <laughs> there is one I had about uh, this, one of the great, two of the, yeah, two of the greatest moments uh, in the civil rights movements are one when Rosa Parks uh, stood up to all those white people on the bus, and the other one was when, uh, Virgil was able to sit at the front of the bus to get here tonight. Isn't that insane? Like, could you imagine 
Tyler Morrison having a beat up Virgil? Oh my God. I don't even know if that's possible, but that is an amazing story. Folks, not all my friends and all the guests of the show are involved in some sort of entertainment or media or comedy or wrestlers themselves. Sometimes they're just regular people like you and me and everyone. This next guy, Chris Cody, my God, I've known this guy forever. Great friend of mine, and we have experienced many wrestling, many wrestling experiences together. Uh, as well as other things. My first Kiss concert, Chris Cody was there. Many times when I, uh, when you know, when we met Jimmy Superfly Snooker, Chris Cody was there. Uh, when I met The Undertaker, Chris Cody was there because he's he asked the legendary question, how are your wife and friends, you know, how are your wife and kids? If you haven't heard The Undertaker story, folks, the first episode, the first issue of Talking Wrestling next year, which is next week, with Ron Jossel, well, I fucked it up, all right? I brought the wrong card, and the episode went short. We're only about 44 minutes. So to fill in the rest of the time to get to the hour, uh, I'm going to put on the story of me and Chris Cody meeting The Undertaker, uh, as told live on stage while opening for Ricky Steamboat at Absolute Comedy in Toronto. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. So if you want to hear... The story of me meeting The Undertaker and how I'm doing it now. Originally, you can hear it on episode 59 of We Watch Wrestling podcast. That's the half hour long story. But if you want to hear the condensed stand-up version, which runs about seven, eight minutes, um, listen next week. And uh, it'll be at the end of the issue. So with that said, we're talking about Chris Cody. This guy, he's just a car salesman. He's just an everyday man who happens to luck into the greatest situations, including a beer run with Dave Hebner. So let's hear all about the beer run with Dave Hebner uh, right now on this clip. And I hope you like it. And like it a lot. So he dropped me off at the show and I was going to walk into the front door and buy a ticket. But before I did that, I just, I think actually I had to go to the bathroom. I really had to go to the bathroom really bad. So he dropped me off. And I don't know if the gates were open yet or the ticket box office was open. So I walked around the back door and I just pulled on a door and I walked in and I went to the bathroom. I was just about to walk out and come back around and buy a ticket. And I thought, well, I'm in the arena. What am I doing? Just walk, walk right into the arena. What's the worst they're going to say? Leave. So I walked in and they were shooting a TV promo for TVA, one of the local French stations. And it was Mark Merrill uh, with his beautiful wife, Sable. Okay. Wife of current. Brock The wife of the undisputed Brock Lesnar. I can't even do Paul Heyman. Go on. And, and they and I'm standing there, and they shot the whole thing basically in French. Uh, but Mark, of course, spoke in English. But it was a little uh, spot for the uh, local news, just to remind everybody the wrestling show. And that's when things just all of a sudden it went from just a one-off. I'm going to a house show by myself to probably the coolest night of wrestling I've ever experienced. So I was standing there with a. There was a few like a little no there might have been five or ten people standing around and I was just trying to act you know when you're in a place and you know you're not supposed to be in that place yeah and you're just thinking to yourself just act normal yeah look around you know I'm supposed to be here yeah be cool. and it's before it's before having phones because now you can just pull out your phone and somebody sees you you can just go on your phone and pretend you're busy and not make eye contact and they're like yeah that guy's just on his phone it's no big deal he's just standing back <laughs> it's so easy now but back then you didn't have that distraction so you had to like sort of blend in 
so no so nobody i'm just standing there and i'm thinking okay what am i gonna do i'm gonna and then i start getting second thoughts like that maybe i shouldn't be in here maybe i should just go buy a ticket <laughs> and uh all of a sudden, some guy just out of the blue, uh, after they they finished up their uh, interview, comes up to me, and he taps me on the shoulder and he says, can I talk to you for a second? And I thought, oh, here we go. I'm in trouble now, big time. And it's Dave. I recognize the guy. It's Dave Hebner. Dave Hebner of the WWF, one yeah. of the one of the referees, who was the agent, the the acting house agent, the house show agent that night. And I, I wasn't aware really at the time. So he pulled me off to the side and he said, "Who are you here with?" And I thought, for sure, here's here it is. I'm 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 done. I I said I'm here by myself. Where are you sitting? And I just kind of pointed up in the stands. There's nobody there yet, and it's a kind of a small arena. He said, "I need a big favor." And I thought to myself, Dave Hebner is asking me for a favor. I said, sure, absolutely. What do you need? He said, do you know this area? Casey, I know Hull, Quebec, like Dallas, Texas. And I looked at him and I said, yes, absolutely. I know this area like the back of my hand. He said, can you come with me? He said, we need to get some beer for the boys. I'm like, absolutely. So I went with Dave Hebner back through the curtain into around the locker room area where I seen recognized some of the wrestlers, which was they were getting ready for the show. We go outside into the parking lot. We jump into a, a car rental that he had. It was like a brand new Cadillac DeVille, light gold, beautiful car. And he says, okay, he says, where do we go? Well, I didn't know Hull from a hole in the ground. But one thing I did know is that every single corner store in the, in the province of Quebec sells booze. Yeah. So I said, go out here, turn right. Turn left, and then the first convenience store. I said, "Pull over here, right here, right here." So I went in the convenience store with Mr. Hebner. He bought two cases of beer. He bought some pop. He bought some coke, and then he bought some lottery tickets. I was laughing because he he loved his lottery tickets. As we were getting back to the arena, he looked at his watch. He said, "Oh God!" He said, "The show is going to start soon. The show is going to start soon." So he's like, "Listen, can you park this thing and bring the keys in?" He said, "If <laughs> anybody questions you, he says, just tell them you're with me. Tell them you're with Dave Hebner." I'm like, okay, Mr. Hebner, no problem at all. So I'd be like 18 years old, 19 years old, and here I am parking parking this you know, Cadillac rental. And he grabbed the, the stuff, he had put it in some bags, and he carried it in. So I go in, and then every security, I just said, I'm with, I'm with Dave Hebner. And they're like, okay, go ahead. It worked like at the back door, the front door, side door, curtain, everywhere. So when we, we when I got back in and I gave him back his keys and I could tell the show was getting you know very close to starting, he said, who, who are you here with again? I said, I'm not here with anybody. He said, where are you sitting? I said, well, I'm just sitting out there. He said, well, I said, can I stay back here? And he just looked at me. He said, sure. He said, why don't you sit with this guy? And it was, uh, he's still with the WWE. I saw him at a, at a house show in Ottawa a couple years ago. His first, I think it's Derek. He, he basically, he's in charge of selling merchandise at all, all the events for WWE now. He's, been, he's from Toronto, good old Toronto boy, mm-hmm. hired by Jack Tunney back in the day. So I sat with him in the penalty box and he had a really cool job that night. He played on the old cassette tapes, the entrance music, and after the match he played the, and it was amazing, it was almost like he had special powers, like he knew who was going to win the match because he had the music ready for the guy that won every yeah. time. He nailed it every time. To this day I'm still not sure how he knew that, but he did. <laughs> now, let's go back. You're in the car with Dave Havner. What are you asking him? Because you're asking him questions. I know you are. What are you asking Dave Hebner? 
Well, are so, you asking him about how? I'm asking did, him about I, the main event, Ted DiBiase, the Andre the Giant. That's that, okay. That's exactly, about that. that, I'm I'm all over him about that. And I said, you will be tempted by the dark side to turn on Brett in a few years, but don't. And he looked at me. What the hell are you talking about? But no, <laughs> you said no, I <laughs> no, I never said that. I was all over him about the main event. I remember the main event. Uh, you know, to this back then, that was when I met Dave Hebner. That was the first thing I, I. It wasn't the first question I asked him, but it, I asked about three soft ones. And they were gunning the right towards that. And he's like, I get asked about this all the time. You know, and I think he was just trying to be be nice. And he just like, you know, uh, just part of the show. <laughs> but when, what did you, you asked him about the Ultimate Warrior, did you not? I did. I, I made a reference, I, I think, to the Warrior. And, and he didn't have much of, um, uh, he didn't have many good things to say about uh, him. He told me that he was crazy. That's so funny. I thought you were like. What is the ultimate warrior like? That son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He he did actually. Uh, uh, he he wasn't a he wasn't a huge fan of his. When I um, when we went back though to the arena, and then I was sitting uh, with the, with the gentleman that was looking after the music. His job too was everybody. All these guys at the wrestling have have different jobs. So one of the guys, Hebner, actually came up and said, "Hey, go sweep out the ring." So I said, "Listen, I said, do you mind? Can I go sweep out the ring?" And he's they're like, "Yeah, sure, go for it." The rooms under the ring so there the, the, there was people in this in the crowd like it was probably about a quarter a quarter full or half full so i i get up from the penalty box i strut down the ring with my macho uh, strut and i'm thinking to myself this is awesome i pull out the uh, the broom throw it into the ring jump up on the apron as i've always wanted to do it was the one and only time until after the event uh, that night i actually stepped inside a wwf squared circle that was an absolute i put threw my leg up over the second rope and crawled in like i was getting ready to main event wrestlemania swept out the ring as best i could and then after that i started having a little fun i started doing the hulk hogan uh, flex and then the, the ear signal to the crowd and then somebody one of the officials come down and said hey buddy get out of the ring <laughs> folks we're uh we're getting down to the nitty-gritty we are past the halfway mark i'm just joking we're well past the halfway mark uh we're on clip 15 and uh this issue was from issue uh, 14 with one of my best friends vince averill from we watch wrestling podcast and i've said it before i don't Honestly, I don't think I would be doing this podcast if it wasn't for, uh, you know, the five or six times that I've appeared on the We Watch Wrestling podcast. Um, whenever I've been on the We Watch Wrestling podcast, I always get um, tweets and, and emails and uh, Facebook messages uh, from the fans of the show. And, uh, you know, or they post things and comments and, and they just, you guys you say the nicest things and you really know how to make uh, someone feel welcome and uh, like I said if I would have never went down and did we watch wrestling and realized how fun it is just talking wrestling and then you know getting the feedback of all you people that are out there listening it made this possible for me to do this this uh, podcast and uh, I'm grateful I'm grateful to Vince for our friendship I'm grateful that we taped an issue at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning after we both had late nights and i'm grateful that uh, he still invites me to come back down and uh, do the show uh whenever i'm in la uh so let's listen to so this whole issue with vince averill uh issue 14 it's fantastic from start to finish and i could have picked 
any of our conversations that we had during that uh, issue, but uh, because for time for time uh, purposes, I went with a short clip, and it's just uh, Vince Averill and I talking about uh, last year's uh, women's tournament, and uh, I hope you uh, really dig this one because it's out of sight. Here's another thing. So when they're doing, did you watch the women's tournament? Yes. Is that flying elbow from the pirate princess Kyrie Sane? Is that better than Macho Man's elbow? Well, it certainly has more elevation. It's it's a beautiful thing. It's definitely the best elbow I've seen since Macho Man. For sure. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it's the only one that's different. Subjective art form, but but she gets up, boy. It's, that's such a that's awesome. It is awesome. It's awesome. I was, you know, um, I thought the Tessa Blanchard match with her was the best match of the of the of the tournament. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I love the tournament. I love what's her name. Um, Roundy, Roundy Piper. What's? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Piper. Yeah, right. she's great. Yeah, it's not Roundy, Roundy. That's, right. That, hey, look at me. I just do a joke of. I just talk about how much I hate John Cena for fat shaming women, and then I come back with a Roundy, Roundy oh, no. Piper come joke. On, Cor- Clean it up, Corbin. I'm, I'm, you're better than that. It's different if you're fat. You can make fun of other <laughs> fat people. That's the only thing we got. <laughs> so no, that's a that was a great tournament. But what drives me insane is even worse than the WrestleMania point. It's like, can they walk to the ring without? It's like, now when you walk out, you have to acknowledge the trophy. Yeah. You know, and then, and then all of a sudden they're like, they all like walk up, they look at it, and yeah. then they walk down. I'm like, come on, they did this. They know they, why. Yeah. It's so annoying. It's ridiculous. And I also love at the start where they show who's all wrestling, and it's all like you know mean girl like all f- girls faces like mean face mean face mean face hello <laughs> <laughs> the pirate princess is always like the last and she's like uh, huge smile angry 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 hello huge smile you know, she's so happy <laughs> and but I, I love her like she's you know that character and like but there were so many girls like that girl from new zealand that came running around with that boot to the face at the uh tony storm no, Tony Storm is Australian. Dolph Ziggler's girl version. Oh, okay. Like, and it's like, okay, now you're ripping off Motley Crue too. <laughs> okay, well, with the, with the eye black. So she's she's yeah, and the logo on her back right. and the metal music. Sure, it sounds like a a, a fake Skid Row song she was coming. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, we get it. You like Motley Crue. Thanks, Vince, uh, for uh, coming on the show, and thanks for being a friend, and thanks uh, also to Tom Sible and uh, Rob Sible and uh, Matt McCarthy uh, from the We Watch Wrestling uh, podcast. I appreciate you guys. I love you guys, and I hope all you guys have had a great uh, season, a festive time of year with uh, you and your loved ones and your families. Uh, folks, we are down to the last two clips, and um, this is my favorite issue of all the issues I've done, uh, out of all the 26, getting to do the Ricky Steamboat issue was the best. Um, Hulk Hogan got me into wrestling, but that's because the marketing machine of Hulk Hogan worked on children. It's really Ricky Steamboat was the first wrestler I chose on my own. I love ninjas, and Ricky Steamboat was like a ninja that was too good looking to wear a mask, and just fantastic. And uh, he was my first favorite wrestler, you know, that I chose on my own. I loved him. I loved Hulk Hogan. But uh, getting to have Ricky Steamboat on the show and getting to work with him on his shows 
and getting to have him on this podcast. By the time we did the podcast, we had uh, built up a rapport with each other where we would, you know, make fun of each other or certain things. And uh, he made fun of my, uh, you know, well, there's a story. Basically, Jan Murphy one day was driving down Kingston and he thought he saw me on the street and he honked his horn at me and he yelled out at me uh, with the window down. And when the guy turned around, uh, it was just a homeless dude. And uh, so um, Jan told Ricky that story and Ricky uh, started calling me a hobo for the rest of the weekend. And uh, I don't mind that if Ricky Dragon Steamboat wants to endear me with a nickname, well, I'll be his goddamn hobo any day of the week. So we're going to go out on uh, clip 17, or no, clip 16, sorry. Clip 16 is what we're going out on. Issue 23, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And uh, here he is talking about, uh, you know, fighting ninjas. I don't know if you remember, but he fought ninjas and uh there were like three stages of ninja fighting that he had to do he went to a temple in japan and fought all these ninjas japanese ninjas because ninjas are only from japan there's no such thing as an american ninja you can only be japanese and be ninjas that's like ninja law all right so anyways here's ricky steamboat telling us about fighting ninjas in japan and well i'll just say you guys you know Love it or leave it, but you better learn to love it because you're not gonna leave it. And that's not how that saying goes, but that's the intro to this one. So, anyways, this is the main event. Ricky Steamboat talking about fighting ninjas. I hope you adore this clip. Now, uh, when you first came in, you had to go to a temple to fight a bunch of ninjas, uh, which was awesome. Uh, that's because I loved. But one thing I love besides yeah, that Mr. was T, a Japanese garden in Philadelphia. <laughs> I was going to ask you where the temple is at today, and now I know it's in Philadelphia, and uh, the Oriental Gardens in Philadelphia. And then I was going to ask you, um, were those real ninjas? Uh, and then I watched it last night on YouTube before I went to bed, and the last ninja was wearing sneakers. So I think I got the answer to that, that uh, they weren't real ninjas. But yeah, you're still the dragon, so that's good. Um, you're probably the only dragon. One guy was a blonde haired guy, and there was a couple of redheads. <laughs> no, I don't think there was one Asian person in a ninja costume in that whole fight. There wasn't. No, exactly. <laughs> But that's, that's why that's why I ended up getting my hand raised. I, um, I beat them all up, and it was because they weren't the real deal. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so you heard it here, folks. Um, the dragon, when he went to the temple to fight the ninjas, a lot of those ninjas were Philadelphians. They were as white as the cream cheese in Philadelphia. They were actually a group of guys from a Philadelphia cream cheese. <laughs> <laughs> my God. Um, they were actually um, uh, instructors from a karate school there in Philly. Oh, cool. Oh, that's that's wicked. Now, you went, um, I want to talk a little bit about, like, when you left the WWE, oh, eventually. Oh, cream cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I was going to come up with that. It just it, it, I, it, the things just happened in my head. <laughs> the, yeah, um, you think if those guys, those karate guys, heard that? Oh. <laughs> yeah, I would be screwed. I would be screwed. Definitely, I would. Well, I'm not. I'm now. I know when I go to Philadelphia, I'll go visit the Rocky statue and the Shalon Monk Temple. And that's in Philadelphia. Watch and, out for the cream cheese. And watch out for the cream cheese. 
You don't want to get hit with a Philly steak. So, folks, that's pretty much the year. That summarizes the best of show. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, whether you're sitting by the fire, sipping on eggnog, or whether you're, uh, you know, you're sitting in your garage and you're hitting the bong, or whether you're just, uh, you know, having your morning coffee or driving to work or whatever you're doing. I hope you enjoyed. I hope you loved. I hope you adored. I hope you dug. I hope you uh, liked. I hope you, I hope you keep listening and uh i appreciate everything that you guys have done for the show um you know and thanks for everybody who's been a part of this show even the people that didn't make the list you still make the list you know ben minor gary Rideout. you know uh, i'm trying to i don't want to leave anybody off the list but uh you know there are other people too that were on the show that were fantastic mark walker the comedians of halifax oh my god that's a funny episode uh nug uh, Eric Johnson. Oh my God, that's a great episode. Ah, uh, John Dore, Jason Harper. That's a funny episode. Oh, Jason Rouse, Boomer Phillips. Just chaos. That's if they were a tag team, they would be called chaos because that was one of the most chaotic episodes I ever did. Um, Lou Eisen. We hit a whole episode on wrestling crossing over with boxing. It's fantastic. Graham Clark from the Stop Podcasting podcast. You know, he was he was amazing as well this it's just been an exciting first year for talking wrestling and i hope you guys enjoyed it and not only that we've got one more clip going on left uh ricky steamboat thought he was done with the fighting ninjas clip but oh no uh clip 17 the encore this is the final this is the dark match the go home match uh here's ricky steamboat talking about his last wrestlemania and how it came about and in in this story he mentions one of my favorite wrestlers uh you know who i think would be my best friend if we were actually friends and i would love to get him on this podcast maybe i i want to go on his cruise so bad but i don't know if i have the money is it ridiculous to do a GoFundMe to get on a cruise with Chris Jericho? Yes, that is ridiculous. But, however, decisions will be made. Because that's one cruise I can go on and I can make it a write-off. Because I would sneak on my equipment and I would try to get some interviews for the Talking Wrestling podcast. So, anyways, long story short, this is the final clip. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for your rate your ratings your reviews thank you for all your subscriptions the show is growing every week and i thank every new listener that comes on board and uh you know i i'm not great i i can't be grateful enough happy holidays to everyone and uh i hope everybody has had a great festive season this is the last clip with uh ricky the dragon steamboat i know you're gonna like it and thank you once again and you guys all have a have a hell of a a great new year's and we'll see you again in 2018 thanks for letting us put a headlock on your ears we're going out with ricky the dragon steamboat telling us all about chris jericho good night good day good afternoon good listening goodbye whoa one more thing when you came back from wrestlemania uh, I thought we were finished. Well, I just thought well, we, I forgot about the WrestleMania match at the end. And like when you, when Mickey Rourke wasn't supposed to wrestle, or he was gonna wrestle, and then he wasn't wrestling, and then all of a sudden it's like three legends. 
Oh, Anyways. WrestleMania 25. Yeah, and then it was really cool getting to see you wrestle Chris Jericho because I'm a big Chris Jericho fan, and I know he's a big Ricky Steamboat fan. So it was really cool seeing you guys in the ring tied up. And then to see you wrestle again the next night on Raw uh, was fantastic. And then the that was like afterwards, you had a whole man, run. Eight-man tag, right? Yeah. yeah. Anyways, I really enjoyed that run when you came back. And um, I've enjoyed everything that you've done. And thank you let, for coming let, on the Let show. me tell you real quick. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, that WrestleMania 25 with me, Snooker, and Piper, and, you know, um, Chris uh, saw early on and putting this whole thing together that, uh, you know, Snooker was, you know, beat up and Piper's back and his hip, you know, and and so he just came to me and said, you, you're going to have to probably carry 80% of the match, you know, because the, the other guys are just, they're limited to what they can do, right? Yeah. So... I was okay with that. I was actively uh, training guys at the school, and um, I was getting in the ring almost every single day. And I, I was, you know, I was staying active in the ring, uh, very hands-on. And just because of the able to do what I was, what I did, um, that segued into the Monday Night Raw mm -hmm. with the eight-man tag. That segued into three weeks later at Backlash, to which I had a singles match with Jericho. Yeah. That segued into an overseas tour to uh, the Orient, in which I worked with Jericho every night. Fantastic. We yeah. came back to the States. We did a, um, uh, we were in the Mid-Atlantic in the Carolinas, my old stomping grounds, and we worked all through the Carolinas. One-on-one uh, -on -one with, with, with Jericho. So the, the one match ended up being like 20. And I'm sure he was fine. I'm sure he was fine with that. And I'm sure that Chris played a, a, a very big role on, on making all of that happen, you know, for me. Oh, Chris Jericho is the best. I totally, I just think that he's the best. And I think let we me, could be let best me, friends. Let, let me also tell you this. We worked in the Carolinas and all the major cities there and um, and and Chris was going over with his uh, uh, code breaker mm -hmm. and the very last night we're in Greenville South Carolina and same finish I said okay code breaker and we have the match and he hits me with the code breaker and he goes to cover and him and the referee, as he covers me, he's going, Ricky, kick out. What? The referee's going, damn it, Ricky, kick out. I'm on, I'm on two. One, two, kick out. So I kick out. I kick out of his code breaker. Mm -hmm. And I, and I'm wondering in those fleeting seconds what in the world are we doing what's going on now right so as i sell up to my feet and he's up and he snatches me and at the last second he picks me up for a slam and while i'm up there on his shoulder he goes you and savage wrestlemania three finish as he, <laughs> as he throws me down <laughs> Which, uh, on the way down, I hook him in, and we end up in that small package position. Yes. And I and he gave me the one, two, three. Wow. I went over. Oh, that's fantastic. That was Chris Jericho. What a guy, right? 
Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com.